This is the Black and Blue Report, straight from the source. No appointment radio, wherever, whenever. Now, from Studio B, or from wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Daniel Sellerson. Hi everyone, welcome into the Monday edition of the Black and Blue Report. I'm Daniel Sellerson, filling in for Sean Kelly, who's with the basketball team today in Los Angeles. Unfortunately, the Pelicans fell to the Clippers yesterday afternoon, 114 to 111. More on that game in a moment. Hope everyone had a great weekend. A lot of good football on around the NFL. All four road teams winning their game in wild card weekend. Feel bad for the fans in Minnesota after that missed field goal by Blair Walsh as the Seahawks uh, steal one there in Minnesota, 10 to 9. And then Aaron Rodgers and Packers. Uh, Looked good, and they defeat the Washington Redskins yesterday afternoon, and then a wild one in Cincinnati Saturday night with a flurry of penalties and the fumble, and the Steelers edge out a win over the Bengals, and the Chiefs looked real good against the Texans who just couldn't get anything going offensively. And so four road teams. Now you have Chiefs, Patriots, you have Steelers, Broncos, and then on the NFC side you'll have the Panthers against the Seahawks and the Packers against the Cardinals. So a very good weekend in the NFL and then tonight how about this big night in Glendale Arizona as a national championship college football national championship that is between the Alabama Crimson Tide the second ranked Bama Crimson Tide and the number one ranked Clemson Tigers 730 central on ESPN be excited to watch that one we'll have a preview of that game uh, with Scott Rabelais from the advocate who is there uh, covering the game for the advocate so we'll get a preview of the national championship with him on the show. As I mentioned, Pelicans fell to the Clippers 114 to 111, their third straight loss. It was an overtime game, a hard fought game, no Anthony Davis, but got some production out of Drew Holiday 29 points, 11 rebounds off the bench, 11 to 27 shooting. Tyreek Evans 26 points, 7 rebounds, 7 assists, 9 and 19 shooting. And Ryan Anderson, who started in the place of Anthony Davis, 16 points, 10 rebounds, 5 of 14 shooting. The Pelicans shoot 40% from the field. 40 of 100. They were just 8 of 30, though, from beyond the arc. They turned the ball over 14 times. 14 points off those turnovers for the Clippers. Clippers with the same thing. 14 turnovers and 14 points off those turnovers as well. Clippers had a really balanced attack on offense. Seven players in double figures, led by Chris Paul. 25 points, 11 assists, 10 of 18 shooting from the field. And Jamal Crawford off the bench, 21 points on 8 of 16 shooting. Really kept the Pelicans in the game, though. The Clippers shot 18 of 34 from the free throw line. You would think 16 missed free throws would be a concern. It was a concern, but the, Pel the Clippers would still prevail. They shot 47% from the field and made 12 three-pointers on 36 attempts. After the game, Sean Kelly and the rest of the media spoke with Pelicans head coach Alvin Gentry. Is this overtime loss in any way encouraging, or is it disappointing? How do you feel? Well, I, no, I, I felt like we competed. You know, we competed, and... You know, we got ourselves back in the game. We uh, end up, you know, with a wide open shot that could have put us up one, uh, you know, with very little time left. So, you know, all I'm looking for is, is, is what we did today. Uh, compete like we did, give ourselves an opportunity to win. And then, you know, the next step is that we've got to make that big play down the stretch, you know, that shot or that layup or, you know, things like that, that, that can get you over the hump. Did you have the, uh, first of all, let me back up here. The performance by Drew Holiday today, Coach, what would you say about that? Well, he's been playing great. I mean, it's not a surprise to me, I don't think. I think he's been playing great and doing a, a good job. So, 
you know, in, in my opinion, it was just another game. He didn't really shoot the ball well as well today as he's been shooting it. Uh, but I thought he attacked the rim and did a good job of, uh, of, of, of playing with force and forcing the issue. So uh, he was good. I thought Tyreek uh, did a good job for us of, of trying to spread the floor and get the ball moving and things like that. So, uh, you know, I, I, I thought we played hard, as I said, and I thought we did a, a good job. We just couldn't quite make those plays that, that mattered down the stretch. Is there a determining factor when you compete like you did tonight versus other nights? Is there something you say, something that ignites this team specifically? I, I don't think so. I think now we're at the point where, you know, we, we told them uh, that if you're not competing at a high level, then we, we have to take you out of the game. And, and we've done it. I mean, not that we scream or yell or do anything like that, but if you're not playing, uh, you know, at the level that we think we need to to try to win the game, then we have to put somebody else in the game. It's just that simple. What do you carry over into Wednesday when you're back here, this time versus the Lakers? Well, we just got to continue to to play, you know, like we're playing with the with the level of intensity that we're playing, and then we just got to execute a little bit better. You know, we got to cut down on the turnovers, and then once again, we have to be able to convert uh, turnovers that, that that we cause, and we're still struggling in that area right there. Thoughts on whether AD might be available for that? Excuse me, Tuesday game, not Wednesday. Yeah, uh, we'll just have to wait and see. You know, we'll he's he's continued to get treatment, and uh, you know we'll practice tomorrow. We'll see where he is, and then we'll do the same thing and shoot around. Even though your bench is deep, but to be able to do this, uh, have this kind of a performance without Anthony, can you talk about that? Uh, well, I, I think our guys have been great. You know, our guys have been really good, and uh, uh, our bench has come off and competed like crazy, and. Uh, you know, we just needed one or two more plays, uh, but that's the difference in, in, in winning and losing games. And, and, and we'll get there, I think. You know, I think we're at a good place. I think the last, you know, 10 games or so, there's been eight of them with, with, with great intensity, and, and we played great. All right, so a day off today. I believe they'll practice in Los Angeles. They're staying in Los Angeles because they take on the Lakers tomorrow night. It's a late one, 9.30 Central, 9 p.m. We'll have Pelicans warm-up for you, and, of course, you can watch Pelicans live um, starting at 9 on Fox Sports New Orleans. Then they'll round up the West Coast trip against the Sacramento Kings at 9 o'clock Central, 8.30. We'll have pregame shows on the radio and television. Also on the show today, Michael Smith. He's the color television analyst for the Los Angeles Clippers, a former player. He's a former player and the announcer for the Clippers. Sean Kelly talked with him at the Staples Center yesterday before the game. We'll play some of that for you on the show as well. So we'll have Scott Rabelais, Michael Smith, and then we'll wrap things up here from Studio B. You're listening to the Black and Blue Report. Fall is here, which means there's a new purpose to get excited about at Smoothie King. It's time to bundle up against the weather outside and give your immune system a little extra support on the inside. At Smoothie King, we're blending our new Immune Builder smoothies to help you stay strong all season long. Fortify your body with more than 2,000% of your daily vitamin C and all-natural immune supporters like vitamins A and E, zinc, and selenium. Try a mixed berry or orange Immune Builder smoothie today. Only at Smoothie King. Smoothies with a purpose. Create fun and affordable memories for the entire family with the Pierre's Party Pack. Ticket packages are available for select Pelicans home games throughout the season and include three or more tickets, combo meals, and an on-court free throw experience with Pierre the Pelican, all for as low as $48. Pelicans! 
The next Pierre's Party Pack Night is on Friday, January 15th against the Charlotte Hornets. For more information and to plan your next night out with the gang, visit pelicans.com today. You owe it to yourself and your home to call Terminex. I'm Vincent Palumbo. Whether you need a lifetime termite damage guarantee or hassle-free pest control service, we do it all. And I'm Ed Martin, Terminix Entomologist. We have developed a convenient pest control system where we're scheduled in your home only twice a year. We attack bugs outside where they live. Call 834-7330 for guaranteed control of any pests or termites. Terminix does it all. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. Here's Sean Kelly. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. We're uh, gearing up now for college football's national championship uh, here on this Monday night. And uh, Alabama and Clemson are all set to go. I'm wondering if I'm ready to go uh, as we gear up for the end of the season. It, it's, that, it's that moment in time where you say, oh, man, this is it. No more football after this. Uh, Scott Rabelais joins us kindly enough here on the Black and Blue Report. He covers LSU and college athletics for The Advocate. Scott, good morning. How are you? I'm fine. Uh, thanks for having me. The realization that football is over, has that sunk in yet? Yeah, it, yeah, it gets you after after the game, you're sitting there riding, you're packing up, and it's like, hmm, that's it. Yeah. There's no more college football until late August or whatever. So, yeah, it, it, does, it does sink in a little bit, but uh, it's, uh, it, it's certainly kind of cool that you have this one game. You go a little past used to be the end of the season, which was like New Year's Day weekend. So you got a little bit more to look forward to anyway. I need your expert opinion on the game tonight. And I'm looking at Alabama and Clemson, and I'm seeing two, I think, really fantastic football teams. I think that we've got the right two playing in the national championship. But other than the obvious storylines, what can you tell me after covering the sport all fall and into this winter? Well, you know, Alabama is a little more traditional uh, a team. You know, they've embraced some of the spread tactics and no-huddle tactics with Lane Kiffin as their offensive coordinator. But still, you know, with a guy like Derrick Henry as the Heisman Trophy winner as their running back, they're still a, at heart a power running team, and they and they play defense. And I think, you know, their front seven, if they win this national championship, their front seven is going to go down as one of the best, if not the best of, of all time, however you quantify that. Um this is a returning to the roots of uh, for the SEC, I, I think. You know, the SEC, of course, won seven straight national titles, and then Auburn played for one and lost, and then last year they didn't make it, Alabama lost. But the, uh, to me, the SEC's era of dominance in the BCS era was predicated on being great in the trenches, especially on the defensive line. And I, obviously with Alabama, you have that. And, and that's why they're favored over an undefeated uh, Clemson team that's, that's – uh, very balanced. I mean, they have a very good defense and an exceptional offense, and more of a, a new age kind of kind of team in in most respects. So there's a little bit of a contrast in styles here, but uh, uh, I think uh, I think we're probably going to see the SEC dominance return uh, uh, once this game ends. When you look back at the semifinal game, here's Alabama with a Heisman Trophy winning running back, but yet they asked their quarterback to basically win the game for them, uh, and it worked. Uh, are we going to see something similar in the championship game? You know, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, I think because um, I think Clemson's secondary is more talented, you know, quicker, more athletic than Michigan State's was. And so I think Alabama was able to exploit that a little bit. They're going to take their chances downfield. I've seen Alabama play twice in person against LSU in the SEC championship game. 
and they're going to take their shots. So you know, with uh, Calvin Ridley, they get and uh, you know Jake Jake Coker fling it down there and some what you call 50-50 balls that they tend tend to come up with at least a couple of them during the course of a game. So I think they're going to test that secondary, but I think they're going to have to rely more on Derrick Henry. Yes, uh, it's going to be a more, more traditional attack. He only rushed for 75 yards in the Cotton Bowl, and I think that'll be that might be what he has at halftime in this game. Scott, there, there, there's probably no more. Uh, there's probably no other man that would love to keep the way the things they are, the way they are, than Nick Saban, who seemingly excels at having to know his opponent a month before he plays them, from the end of the regular season to a bowl game. He just he um, he game plans as good as anybody in the business. Now we're going to go from uh, instead of a month to prepare for his Cotton Bowl opponent to basically a week here. Uh, does that level the playing field at all in this case, or? Is he just that good in preparing for a postseason opponent? Well, he is very good at preparing for a postseason opponent, and they've won a bunch of SEC championship games when they've only had a week to prepare, obviously, both at LSU and in Alabama. That's true. So, but I, I think it does level it a little bit, yes. I, I think it does create a, a little bit of a edge for, for Clemson. Um, of course, you have the underlying story that has come up that Clemson's back in school and they're limited to the 20-hour-a-week rule in Alabama's not in school, and they've had unlimited practices. So uh, whether that's a factor or not, we'll never really know. But, but uh, yeah, but yes, but Saban is a tremendous coach at preparing a team. And, like, if he wins this game, this will be his fifth national title between the one in LSU and four in Alabama, one behind Bear Bryant. But I think given how much competition there is in college football today, I think you have to say, if you're not saying already, he's the best coach ever. Yeah, well, I mean, there's arguments to be made, for sure, to that side. Um, here's Clemson, who comes into this game um, having almost gone wire to wire as far as the the, the poll goes uh, as the number one seed. And, and is here's a Clemson team that also is the only other team aside from Alabama to have five straight seasons with 10-plus wins, but yet nobody talks about Clemson in the same breath. Um, why is that, Scott? Well, they, they don't have the same tradition, although they have won a national title, but they hadn't been a national player um, for you know, really, in, in, until just the last couple of years, um, you, you come out of the ACC, which doesn't have as much respect as the SEC does in football, and, and especially when you go against the SEC's most successful traditional power, which is which is Alabama. But but they certainly deserve some some respect. I mean, they you know, they've they've beaten more good teams than Alabama has has beaten you know, more bowl teams. Uh, uh, they've they've come through you know, a difficult schedule. Uh, they had a you know a tough game with Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl where they weren't favored, and they just kind of stepped on the gas in the second half and pulled away very impressively. Uh, kind of reminds me not that the same not that they go about it the same way, but they kind of remind me of of when else you played Alabama in in New Orleans uh, in the the 2012 BCS championship game. They were undefeated, gone through this great regular season, you know, just tremendous achievement, and then. Things didn't go well for them in the championship game, so Clemson's going to have to avoid that. And of course, they've got a great player to lead them that, to do that. Deshaun Watson, their their uh, very talented dual threat quarterback, he, he's um, he, he's going to be the, the the best player that uh, that Alabama has faced in that regard. Uh, they can beat them with, with his arm and with his feet, and uh, yeah, they're going to score some points in Alabama. I can't imagine that Alabama's going to. You know, shut them down completely. So it's going to be a, an interesting test for Alabama to see to face this kind of explosive team in, in Clemson. But uh, Clemson is, uh, yeah, they're coming under the radar a little bit, and they're playing they're playing the underdog card. You know, even though they're they're undefeated, they're not getting any respect. 
and, and it's going to take beating in Alabama for, for them to get that respect. It's not going to come beforehand. Yeah, charming, isn't it? You know, the underdog role. You're the, you know, you're in the championship game. I love that. Um, you mentioned Deshaun Watson. Does, does Alabama take away his arm or his feet? Do they try and pick one of the two? Yeah, I would, I would think you don't want a quarterback to. Uh, I mean, they're going to they're going to throw for some yards. So I would think you don't want him to to run wild and, and create situations where you're not able to load up. Yeah, Alabama doesn't. They don't blitz a lot. Yeah, as compared to Nick Saban teams in the past. So I think they'll probably try to contain Deshaun Watson and make him make him throw into a secondary that has improved. You know, we saw them get riddled by Ole Miss early in the season when they lost their one game, but they've improved a lot since then. And so I, I think they will try to contain him, keep him in the pocket, get pressure on him, you know, sack him can, of course, but not let him run free to where it's like, oh, you know, you, you know you're picking your poison every time they snap the ball. If you can get him just to throw, and, of course, if Alabama can get the lead, that, that probably creates more of those passing situations for Clemson too. But, yeah, I think they want to, to, to take away his mobility if they can. Scott, are we going to get a great game between these two teams or are we going to get a clunker here like we've seen in so many of these bowl games this time around? <coughs> Excuse me. I'd like to say we're going to get a great game. I, re- I really would. But, you know, I, I just I, I've seen what Alabama has done in, in all these championship games. You know, they, Texas gave them really kind of the closest game. You know, of course, we remember what they did against LSU. Mm-hmm. They just obliterated Notre Dame uh, a year later uh, down, in, um, down in Miami in the Orange Bowl. Uh, I, I don't um, – down in Miami wasn't the Orange Bowl, but the the game uh, was at that site. I I'd like to think it's going to be close, but I I, I think I, I see Alabama winning by a couple of touchdowns at least. A couple of touchdowns at least. So that doesn't yes. seem like a great game to me, Scott. I'm afraid not. <laughs> uh, and, and unfortunately, for most of the bowl season, it's been that way. Yeah, you know, I we know. haven't had a lot of great games this bowl season. Uh, you know, it's just been one lopsided matchup after another, and I, I just see Clemson coming out there not getting a little success, Alabama coming down to score, they get stopped again, all of a sudden Clemson's down 10 nothing or 14 nothing, and really feeling the pressure. Scott Rabelais here with us from The Advocate. Uh, Scott, if you don't mind, let me change gears while I've got you because it's a, it's a great treat to have you. Um, looking back at this last week for LSU, um, can you remember a, a week like this on campus where football gets this rush of good news, the Kentucky basketball team comes into town and LSU – I don't want to say soundly beats them, but is pretty convincing in, in taking them out. Um, describe for me the mood around LSU athletics over the last seven to ten days. Well, you know, it, it's, it's really, it's really it seems like a very positive time for LSU because it stands in such stark contrast to what you had, you know, in, from, you know, mid-November until maybe LSU won the Texas Bowl, you know, in, in, after, after Christmas. And it was just... Yeah, Les Miles is fighting for his job, and the basketball team stumbling through this their pre-conference schedule and not being able to get their act together, and what's going on, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, lately it's been like, okay, they won the bowl game, Kevin Steele leaves. Well, they they make a hire that not to knock Kevin Steele, but you know, this guy could be an improvement, an upgrade in Dave Aranda. Uh, he's definitely seen as one of the big rising stars in the college game, and she was able to get him if LSU hadn't gotten him. Probably someone like Tennessee or Southern Cal would have tried to have, have uh, snapped him up. And then uh, they got good news on the recruiting front. Uh, they got the, the receiver for IMG and, of course, Michael Divinity, the New Orleans guy who's going to early enroll and, and be taking part in spring training at a at spring practice at a desperately um, a, a position where they're desperate for, for bodies, for talent at linebacker. He'll definitely play right away at LSU if he's healthy. 
And then the basketball team comes back and they, they win at Vandy. When you look like they're maybe staring at 0-3 start in conference, yeah. um, they go win at Vandy. They beat Kentucky at home. Now they're going to Florida. Uh, they, were, they were going to Florida at, on Saturday trying to go 3-0 and and look like they're finally getting their act together. So, yeah, it's been kind of – it's been nothing but good news for LSU lately. It's it, it's it's it, Like I said, really stands out compared to what happened uh, just late last year. Yeah, I don't know if they nailed a horseshoe above every doorway or something, but, man, it's it's been – it's been pretty interesting, as you mentioned the um, the comparing the two different uh, segments of the year. That's that's for sure. Um, did you um, did you have any takeaways from the Sean Payton press conference um, on Airline Drive, Scott? Now, the reason I bring this up is you've been to hundreds of press conferences. Did this one seem different in any way? Did you did you have a a, a feeling one way or the other as to how that sixty plus minute thing went? For one thing, I, I kind of expected Sean to go. I expected him to find the find a situation, the Saints to find a situation that was to their liking in terms of of what they could get in compensation and and the, an opportunity he would like to 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 get. So that to have him you know come out and, and talk about staying, you know, was I, I was leaning the other way with with what I thought, especially after the way he he kind of avoided wanted to avoid the issue after the win in Atlanta uh, last Sunday, but. Um, I think what what struck me was, uh, you know, Sean's uh, his uh, his the depth of feeling that he had for the franchise, for the city, uh, for 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 the for the fans. You know, that that surprised me a little bit. You know, this uh, always with Peyton, you feel there's a little detachment, certainly compared to like a Les Miles. Mm-hmm. You always feel there's a, there's a little detachment there. Uh, you know, of course, pro pro guys tend to be that way. You know the they're more insulated and not as involved in the community because, uh, you know, they, they don't have to go out and like college coaches and deal with boosters and, and, and recruit and that sort of thing. They're, they're focused on football all the time. But, and, but that, that he, that he talked about his, you know, his uh, feelings for, for just being in New Orleans and how, how it's grown on him and how he wants to continue here uh, and doesn't see himself coaching anywhere else. That, that, that struck me uh, that, uh, that we got that from Sean, that he was that open and I, I, you know, you have to say, you have to say, this whole thing made it made a big emotional impression on him. He he was faced with a, at least the possibility of making a lifestyle change, a lifetime change, and he and it didn't he didn't go. And so, the the decision to stay for whatever all the reasons that were involved in that, I mean, I think made a big impression on him. And and uh, you know, he saw he sees this. I guess I, I, I also get the impression he sees this as a a, ch- a chance of renewal, a chance to get. To, uh, to recommit and not that they haven't been committed, but to recommit and try to get the franchise back to uh, a, a playoff contending footing and, and try to re- rebuild them into the kind of team that they were uh, just a few years ago. And I think that's um, that, that's all something that uh, he seemed rejuvenated by that. And I thought that was interesting. I know, and I'm, I'm glad you said that because I think you're dead on by saying uh, or sharing a feeling of rejuvenation in that, what was the phrase you used, depth of feeling? I think that really, really fits here. Um, yeah, it was just kind of not the usual press conference. That's that, in a good way. In a good way. Don't get me wrong. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, Scott, how can folks follow you on Twitter? I'm at Rabelais A D V R A B A L A I S A D V. So hopefully they can they can get through all those letters and follow me when I'm on when I'm tweeting uh, the yeah. Tigers or the Saints or college football. No, it's a good follow, um, and and that's why I always know what you have your hands in on because I see you you know you'll tweet wherever you're covering and whatever you're whatever you're covering and. And so, therefore, I, I love it because we can have a great conversation about a number of different topics. 
Uh, enjoy college football's national championship. Uh, don't let the hangover uh, hit you too long here for the end of college football. I'm sure you'll be covering plenty of other things. Oh, yes. We'll jump right back into college <laughs> baseball, uh, college basketball, and college baseball is not too far away. That's big yeah, here in Louisiana. Yeah, there's always something else. It doesn't stop, but that's, that's good. I, I like doing a variety of things. Ah, uh, yes. The seasons do they turn. Okay. Scott Rabelais with us from The Advocate, and we'll continue on the Black and Blue Report right after this. Life is busy. You need health care that can keep up. At Auctioner, we get that. So we've made our care more schedule-friendly, like offering same-day appointments. Need a primary care physician, a pediatrician, an OBGYN? We'll get you in to see someone today. Many of our specialists are available the same day, too. And with health centers all over Greater New Orleans, there's bound to be one near you. Many are open late and on weekends for your urgent care needs. And if it's something serious, Auctioner has you covered with nationally ranked care for your most complex conditions. Want additional convenience? Now you can make appointments with many of our physicians on our website. And once you become an Auctioner patient, you'll be able to do even more online, like email your doctors, see test results, and refill your prescriptions, all with a simple click. Make an appointment today at auctioner.org or call 866-AUCTIONER. Auctioner. Healthcare with peace of mind. Your New Orleans Pelicans have the perfect way for you to unwind with your buds by scoring the Guys Night Out six-pack. Presented by Fulton Alley. Packages are available for select Pelicans home games throughout the season and include two tickets and four beers. Plus, Fulton Alley's throwing in a free game of bowling, all for as low as $50. Take flight with the next Guys Night Out on Thursday, January 21st against the Detroit Pistons. Visit pelicans.com to plan your Guys Night Out today. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. Here's Daniel Sellerson. Welcome back to the show. Big thanks to Scott Rabelais for joining the show. Nice preview on the national championship. Also taught the Little Saints. Also taught the Little LSU. Should be a good one tonight between the Crimson Tide and the Clemson Tigers. Let's go back to basketball now. Yesterday at the Staples Center, Sean spoke with Michael Smith, former NBA player, television analyst for the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, yesterday, a couple things that uh, I want to touch on. Uh, Michael Smith is uh, considered a numbers guy. You know, the analytics, uh, some people are, some people are not. But uh, Sean asked Michael what numbers he uses, what numbers are important to him when evaluating not only this Clippers team, but players and uh, teams in general around the league. I look at an efficiency of a team offensively, and I also look at how they're defending. So I, I don't... Don't look at the defensive rating like this is the one I'm going to live on. I'm just kind of looking at what they do to a team's, other team's assist ratio. Okay. And, uh, which team makes it really difficult for that team to get the shots they want? Do they have to end up going one-on-one a lot? So the Clippers are a high assist team. Uh, teams that are really good that move the ball, Golden State really high assist team. Same with the Spurs. You know, Atlanta's the same way. They believe in that extra pass or uh, giving up a good shot for a better shot. So when I look at it, I look at, okay, now, so what do they do against their opposition? How do they hold down their assist? And if they hold that team down, typically, I'm like, okay. So they do get after it. They, they, they make you do something different. And that goes back to my football background, Sean, where I was a quarterback in high school. If you stay back on me, 
We had a really good high school football team. We won every game I ever played in high school football, wow. which is amazing. Wow. We California championship, all that. But I had great receivers, and I was a 6'10 quarterback. But if you stayed back and didn't rush me, and didn't make me do anything different, I was going to pick you apart. The same would be true of a Rodgers or a Brady. Sure, sure. But watch how the Packers have been struggling lately. They're getting two Rodgers, right? So Aaron Rodgers doesn't feel like Aaron Rodgers. Um, same theory defensively. If I ever had become a coach, I definitely would have taken away the best player, what he likes to do, their next best player, and where he likes to get the ball. Like basketball, simple. Larry Bird, I watched as a teammate, get the ball in his favorite spot all game long. Kevin McHale, I watched get the ball in his favorite spot all game long. But if you could have made Bird get the ball one step out or McHale two steps out, efficiency goes way down. If Chris Paul likes to go right, by the way, don't tell the Pelicans, but he likes to go right. <laughs> they should know that, having had him many yes. years. He likes to go right because he's shorter. So when he creates separation from his defender, he likes to have a left elbow push right. and lean back and have his right arm further away the, from the defender. He never goes left to that left corner elbow where the free throw line meets the key, that that transition period and shoots from there because the defender's on his left side and there he is with the ball right close to him. So if I knew that, I'd play every pick and roll forcing Chris to go left and teams don't do it enough. So of course the theme uh, in the city of Los Angeles as far as basketball is concerned has been the Clippers have been the red hot team of late the last few years. The Lakers have not. Of course, Kobe Bryant is retiring at the end of the season, but the Lakers sit here with eight wins on this Monday, the second worst record in the NBA, Michael describes the scene right now with Clippers hot, Lakers not. What's the basketball scene like in Los Angeles? Oh, my gosh, because I've lived it um, from so many different sides. I grew up here, and growing up here, the Clippers were in Buffalo when I'm a youngster. Okay, Ironically, I'm from Rochester, New York, and Randy Smith, Buffalo Brave, was my favorite player growing wow. up. But I moved to California when I'm five, so... I mean, the Clippers are still in Buffalo when I'm a 12-year-old, so I have no real attachment to the Clippers, per se. I like the Buffalo Braves because I liked Randy Smith and Bob McAdoo, but that was just because I liked them and their games. Now, let's move forward to my junior high and high school years. The Lakers are in the 80s. Magic's winning five titles. Magic's first on the scene. They're playing Showtime basketball. Which team do you think I liked? The Clippers didn't get here until 84, but when they got here, I liked them. So I kind of had like this dual love for both teams, and then I get drafted by the Celtics, so go figure. I lied through my teeth when I met my Celtic press conference saying, this is a dream come true to play for this storied franchise. I hated the Celtics. I couldn't stand them. I watched the whole Lakers-Celtics 80s rivalry. I didn't want to play for them. But what's interesting about the current situation in LA, Clippers good for now five years in a row, and the Lakers, you know, borderline awful since they win their last championship, right? In 2010, I guess, Kobe Smith. The town still loves the Lakers. I mean, don't get me wrong. The Clippers have their following. They have their fan base. We have some crazy number of sellouts in a row. It's not quite like the Mavericks that are in the 500s, but it's, it's over 200 now or whatever it is. And they have their fans. But... You bump into some basketball fan on the street, and they're like a Laker fan. I mean, it's just typical. Yeah, I recognize the Clippers are good, but I'm a Laker fan. Yeah, the because their dads were, their grandpas were, and you can't fight history and you can't fight championships. And until this team wins it all, you're not going to change the town. And 
And it's a big town. It's a big town. Sean, it's huge. We don't, we don't, in LA, we don't live and die with the sports teams. We don't. We love them. We go to watch them. But it's not like being in Minnesota. It's not like being in San Antonio where your teams are it and you love that oh. team. This is LA. There's That's a thousand know. things yep. to do. Yep. And finally, Sean and Michael talk about the West a little bit. Now it is down based on the fact that there are a few teams that would be in the playoffs with a losing record right now. Um, but it's very top-heavy. You have the Spurs, you have the Warriors, and uh, some could say the Clippers, the way they're rolling right now. And don't forget, I wouldn't leave out the Oklahoma City Thunder. So uh, Sean and Michael, to, or Michael explains um, why the Warriors and the Spurs are the two best teams and uh, the Clippers are not too far behind. They're the two best teams, no question about it. And if they're healthy, most likely they're going to be in the conference finals. I don't know who beats who. Like in a seven-game series, I would actually pay to watch that series. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, Oklahoma City has a chance. I don't think they have enough to beat those two teams in a seven-game series. Next best team in the West right now is the Clippers. Mm -hmm. But an unfinished product. Right now, having won eight in a row. Blake Griffin pending a return. Do they get worse or better with him back? I say they get better because they've redefined how the second unit plays, which didn't happen before. So addition by subtraction, Josh Smith and Lance Stevenson out of the lineup. Now you got Prigioni and Aldridge, yep. and it works, and guys are finding their rhythm, and shots are starting to fall, they're starting to defend, so a lot of good things happening. Can the Clippers beat either the Spurs or the Warriors? which would probably be a likely second-round matchup. That's a great question. Yeah. I never thought last year the Clippers could do what they did, which was win Game 4 in San Antonio, Game 6 in San Antonio, and turn around and win Game 7 at home against the defending champs, and they did it. Should have been their coming-out party, yeah. Sean. Should have propelled them to the conference finals, but they fell apart against Houston. So nobody remembers the great victory over San Antonio, except San Antonio. Right. So there you have it. Michael Smith, television analyst for the Los Angeles Clippers, former player. Uh, big to have him come on the show. Appreciate Sean and Michael doing that tomorrow or yesterday before the Clippers and the Pelicans. I can't get my days right here with game day, not game day. That is not game day today, but the Pelicans will be back in action tomorrow against the Kings. I'll wrap up this edition of the Black and Blue Report next. We'll be right back. All-Star Electric is lighting up the future with the latest in LED lighting. All-Star Electric specializes in the installation and conversion of the newest LED lighting products. This lasting investment is virtually maintenance-free and offers significant savings on your next electricity bill. This is Tim Blanchard, president of All-Star Electric. Let us evaluate your building, parking lot, or home for an LED conversion because we know we can save you some money. Power outages turn your world upside down. You need to know when your power will come back on, and you want to know what happened. The fastest way to stay informed? Entergy Text Alerts. You'll get prompt updates on when your power will be restored and on what happened. You can even send a text to be sure your outage is being repaired. When the power is out, what's faster than calling? Texting. Sign up today at EntergyText.com. That's the power of people. Entergy. We call it No Appointment Radio. You're listening to the Black and Blue Report. All right, that'll do it for the Monday edition of the Black and Blue Report. Big thanks to Sean. Big thanks to Michael Smith. 
uh, television analyst for the Los Angeles Clippers. Scott Rabelais from The Advocate breaking down the national championship. Hope you all enjoy that game tonight. Uh, I'm sure if you're a Clemson or Alabama fan, you're either going to really enjoy it or you're not. But as a college football fan, I'm very excited to watch tonight's game between the Crimson Tide and the Clemson Tigers. We'll talk about it tomorrow on the Black and Blue Report, the Tuesday edition. It's also a Pelicans game day, so we'll get you set for Pelicans and Lakers. It's a late one. Hope you'll stay up and watch or listen to the game. We'll have Jim Eikenhofer on from Pelicans.com to preview that. And, of course, you never know who else may stop by. That will do it for the Monday edition of the Black and Blue Report. Hope everyone has a great rest of their Monday. And until tomorrow, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Black and Blue Report. If all goes well, we'll be back tomorrow. Tune in each weekday at 12 p.m. or at your convenience exclusively online at NewOrleansSaints.com and Pelicans.com. Follow your teams direct from the source. The Black and Blue Report.